so that that's how I started. I started off, you know, being an exchange student, got on a cruise ship, and I was like, there is a whole world. It was amazing to me, and I have made so many amazing people that have become my family. Underwater rigging, tell us about that. Like you were saying everything oh, is climbing and up and yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, usually it is. Uh, I worked... <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> Until it's not, who knew? What would you say it's the thing you like the most about your job? I like having fun. I enjoy clambering around. I enjoy making sure that people are safe um, and can have a good time doing it. And I just happen to do it through the rigging side. Welcome to the Theatre at Live podcast. And hello, we're putting the spotlights on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators, the backstage masters. My name is Anna and I'm joined by... Anna! Rob, that's me. <laughs> and this is our first episode. We will be talking to Anna Tomkins about rigging. Anna Tomkins is a rigger and an automation technician originally from the United States. Hello! Hi! I'm so honored to be here. We're super excited to have you here and have our first podcast being with Anna, Anna and Anna. Oh man, the alliteration is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm ready. So where are you right now, Anna? I am in Jacksonville, Florida on my mother's property um, in a shed that she has so lovingly allowed me to convert into a gymnasium, a studio, uh, a workshop. And um, right now it's filled with upholstery things that I'm working on. So <laughs> that's where I am. I'm hanging out in the shed. Don't be surprised if you happen to see a lizard in the background. It's very pretty over there. It looks nice. It's all nicely painted oh, and everything. Oh, thank you. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit of you, yourself, your path, your career? How do you get to where you are? Where are you at in your life? So I started out in theater, maybe conventionally or unconventionally. I kind of grew up in the arts. My twin brother um, learned about ballet when he was eight years old. And so he went to art schools and kind of by default, me and my brothers went to art school and uh, we both majored in voice for the longest time. And towards um, the middle of high school, I kind of decided that I wanted to do something a little bit more um, on the technical side. So I moved over to technical theater. So I did that for most of high school, went to college as a technical direction major at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, was a carpenter for the longest time, um, building scenery for operas, regional theater, and was really big on the you know, fast paced construction, you know, every week or so, you know, you're building a new show, you're putting on the new show, and then you're tearing down the show. And somehow that kind of merged into, we built all these things, now we need to hang it up. And I got really involved in the rigging side of that. Um, and that's kind of been my focus over the last almost decade now, I guess. I mean, I've done probably every position besides sound design. I've done the quick changes. I've Sold on costumes. I've been a technical director. I've just, I mean, I, you know how it is in regional theater. You do every little thing that you need to do to get the show done. So we all kind of um, work together with that. But I focused more on the rigging and kind of swerve over into automation every now and then. I think we all kind of get into it for different reasons, but most riggers that I know are into it because they like climbing and it's an excuse to go do fun things and harness up and get paid to 
do it. So that's where I started. Um, I am kind of on the path of doing what the universe tells me to do. There have been so many opportunities that I've been afforded in life and um, I take them as I see them as they can meld appropriately in my life. And sometimes it's worked out, sometimes it hasn't as life does. So my career has been just me trying to get out there, travel, meet new people, have a good time, you know, put on some shows and entertain people. What did you, you've also done stints overseas. So what drew you to get overseas in terms of your work and how did that transition happen? Because we often get um, talk talk about that in our webinars at Theatre Art Life and ha- people often ask, how did you get to work overseas? So can you tell our listeners how that happened? Absolutely. Um, I, I kind of got my first, you know, outside of the United States bug. Um, when I was in high school, I was an exchange student um, to Slovakia for um, a year. And I kind of like had my eyes open to like the great wide world that, you know, was not southern americans doing southern american things and not nothing not to bash the south that's where i'm from you know and that's you know we all we all love where we're from in some way or another but um i had never realized that you know only about 10 percent of americans have passports and i was like one of the few in the crowd and so i knew when i left college i wanted to be able to travel and to learn more because there were so many different ideas and perspectives that my eyes were open to when I was an exchange student that I didn't realize were even possible. So um, when I got out of college, I immediately (laughs) jumped on a cruise ship because I figured, oh man, what a great way to get paid to travel um, and, you know, go onto the high seas. And my dad was thrilled because he loves everything about the ocean. So um, it, it worked out. It was a great way to learn about equipment, dealing with troubleshooting in an awkward environment because Oftentimes when you're on a ship, you're the only technician that handles whatever that department is. So you're forced into like getting an amazing in-depth knowledge on um, the equipment that you have. So, but one of the great things about that is is that, you know, you can get off at just about every port, go explore um, and travel. And so at at some point, I, you know, honestly, I don't even know how it happened, but I ended up getting a call to um, come over to Macau and join the House of Dancing Water. Um, about a year or so after I had done my cruise ship thing. And I was like, heck yeah, I want to go to China. That's cool. So that that's how I started. I started off, you know, being an exchange student, got on a cruise ship. And I was like, there is a whole world. There was a whole universe outside of where I grew up. Um, and it was just, it was amazing to me. And I've made so many amazing people that have become my family. I, I wouldn't change it. It's been an incredible adventure. And it's, it's so refreshing to get a different story out of people because they have different backgrounds. Um, so you, you get, you get a better perspective. So yeah. before we, uh, talk about something else, I do want to, uh, for the sake of everyone else that doesn't know the industry as much as we do, mm-hmm. what does a rigor do? Who is a rigor? What do you do? The most simple definition I would say is a rigger is an individual who facilitates the safe shifting of loads from one place to another. And that can change depending on what your industry is. So generally in the more industrial construction side, you see a lot of people climbing steel, um, raising things on cranes and doing a lot of more building construction. When you merge over into the theater side, 
Of course, we do a lot of the exact same things, maybe a little bit less on the crane side, unless you're talking about the actual facility. Generally, I've been focusing on the performer flights side of that. So it's it's basically anything above, above your head um, that is affixed, that is anchored, that is moving, has probably been touched by a rigger. Um, we are the ones who are out there making sure that everything is safe and secure. It's seamless, you know, as soundless as possible. That's a hugely important thing is not distracting the show with the sound of your equipment. Yeah, that's what we do. We, we, we climb around, we uh, make sure people are safe. We have a good time. Uh, and uh, the show goes on. It's beautiful. I love how you always emphasize the fact that you have a good time. I also have a good time <laughs> when I do theater, and that's so important. It's so important. Um, it's one of the most um, hugely important things to me because I, I have worked in several, many different places, and one of the things that I try and stress with my colleagues is to remember that we're out here to help people relax, have them have a good time, entertain each other. And if you're, you know, distracted by your job to the extent that you're not having a good time, then maybe, you know, that you need to look at something else for a little while to refresh yourself because it, it you, you see it on stage, you know, if a performer is stressed out or if they're, you know, unhappy, their performance changes. It happens the same backstage. Your performance can change just a little bit if you're not having that fun, if you're not making it fresh every day. That's one of the things when I send a performer off for their flight, have fun. You know, like, but for me, that's a reminder for myself, but a reminder for them that enjoy what you're doing right now. Take the time to focus on the, the, the absolute present because the distractions in the world will go away for a little bit and you might you know, have to revisit them later, but for that moment, for those, you know, few minutes while you're on stage, it's about you. It's about the performers that you're working with, and it's about the audience. So, I, I really try and stress for everybody else to enjoy themselves while they're doing that. It can be a very stressful environment at times, though. So, how do you keep up with that? Oh, mentality. Yeah, it can. Uh, my my stress dealings for that environment because you're absolutely right. I mean, you can do just about anything, and someone can get hurt. You can secure something backwards. You can um, get so used to doing the same pattern that you forget about the pattern that you're doing. You can get distracted by another colleague during a show and you're not, you know, 100% focused on what's going on on stage and what's moving around. So that's, that can be something that, you know, you do need to um, make sure that you yourself know what's important at that time. Um, as far as safety is concerned, and also reiterate that to your colleagues that, you know, this is my focus right now, because at any moment, anything could happen, and we need to be able to respond to it correctly. Um, and so what I try and do personally, I go over like all the messed up scenarios in my head, consider what it is that I'm going to say, when that scenario happens, how we're going to respond to it, what the most appropriate answers are. And of course, we, you know, run validations, we run through rehearsals and scenarios and rescues um, for each thing that could happen as a department and as a company, but sometimes other things occur and you do need to be ready to respond to that in a calm and concise manner. And I think that's one of the biggest things is being able to deal with a stressful moment in a calm way, because if you're not calm, nobody else will be. Um, and I think Anna, Rob, you know, as a stage manager, like your like calming voice, your, your precise voice and understanding of what that space needs with those people at that time is so important for 
how the rest of the situation is going to turn out. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you say that you you go over scenarios in your head because I think that's also my inner psychology when I'm calling. And I, it sounds very morbid, but I think that, you know, uh, training uh, adequately or responding adequately to an emergency situation is not a, an automatic thing. It's a trained thing. And, you yes. know, like people who run scenarios in the military or in emergency uh, services, they train scenarios so that they prepared for them and and the same should be said for us you know we we always think about the things that don't or could go wrong and and then have that internal dialogue it's interesting that you say that you mutter under yourself about you know the things that could go wrong because I do exactly the same thing so if when even when it really happens I know exactly what I'm going to switch to once I once I jump into that situation I think it's a nice way to prepare and I also think that it's a great tip for people I guess riggers and and most people who work in the theatre backstage industry to Mm -hmm to think that way even if it's not as dangerous as some of the things maybe we're doing there's always risks right there are always risks it doesn't even matter you could be I don't care what department you're in you could like sew your hand together in wardrobe (laughs) I mean you could there anything could happen you don't you don't know what what it is but it's about having a separate um, section of your mind that's reserved just for that part of your personality that is concise focused ready and then having the rest of your personality, you know, do whatever it needs to do. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I am that person that literally will stand in front of a mirror, make sure that my face, you know, is appropriate. I'm not like looking like an idiot while I'm saying something that's important, but I'm also practicing the way that I say things so that they come off clear, particularly if you're working with individuals that don't have English as their first language. Mm. I feel like I've over the years adapted what I kind of refer to as international simplified English. And it's not to, you know, belittle anyone who doesn't speak the language, but it's to be as basic and clear with everyone so that we can assure that everyone fully understands what it is that, you know, we're about to do or what we are doing or what the situation is so that you don't have any kind of misunderstanding that could lead to some other potential issue. Lowering your vocabulary scope. So it can yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And and also teaching people what basic theater vocabulary is, because I I know in my own industry, um, rigging specifically, a lot of individuals get into it from a climbing background or from an industrial background and not necessarily a theatrical base. And there's nothing wrong with that. You get great experience. You get great knowledge um, from individuals who do that. They bring so many things to the table, but sometimes they'll come into it not necessarily knowing what we would consider to be basic theatrical understanding, stage right, stage left. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've had to have that conversation and there's nothing wrong with that, but we want to make sure that every individual is speaking the same lexicon, even if we have different languages going on in our heads. You know, we, we know that the right words that we're going to use so that everyone understands what that word is. Like when you say stop, we're talking about like a hard stop, or are we talking about a pause? Are we talking about a hold? Those are very different things and they affect the way that um, a situation could go down depending on how you say that. So, you know, a pause can just be like a slow deceleration and we're just waiting until something else is going on. A stop is, you know, I hit that emergency stop. Everything is violently stilled itself to prevent further malfunction and injury, uh, machine failure or something like that. So I think it's very critical for not just rigging and automation, but for like the rest of the company to understand what all of our basic words are so that we can be comfortable saying them and we can be comfortable knowing that when we do say them, 
it's taken seriously. It's interesting. I had an experience on, I think I can say now my last job, but it's been a while. But now that I'm in grad school, I don't Yay, really grad work. school. <laughs> How exciting. I'm jealous. Uh, it is really cool. Uh, anyway, so I got to this job. I was hired as a diver, but I also already had like 10 years of experience doing theater. And the first thing that the like... Uh, one of the divers there took me on stage, remember, on my wetsuit and everything. And he's like, okay, so this is downstage, this is upstage, stage right, stage left. And at the beginning, it was kind of awkward and annoying. I was like, well, I, I know this stuff. But looking backward, yeah. I think it was so important and so valuable. And heck, do that to me 10 times. I don't mind. I prefer to over-communicate in this way. Because also when we over communicate on what you were saying on like English terms and then we use more words than we really should or need and then we get that's another story. But yeah, just yes. the basics. Tell me the basics 10 times. I don't care or whatever I really need to do the job. Yeah, I mean, maybe we can preface things when we're training others and basically say, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to insult your intelligence or your experience, but we need to go over these, you know, policies. Everyone needs to hear it. I, you know, guaranteed, I know you know exactly what you're talking about, but I need to say this and make sure that you can understand it um, so that when a situation does happen, we know for a fact we're all on the same page. So mm. I respect that. You know, it, it can be a little bit, I don't want to say insulting, but definitely a little bit of frustrating when someone's like going over like the, the most basic of basics. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, you know, I know that. I've been doing this for a while. Don't you know who I am? That's <laughs> that's not, that's that doesn't help anything. But what it does help is, um, making sure that we all know where we are right now in conjunction of where we came from and where we're trying to go. Yeah. So you're a rigger, I'm a diver, and uh, yeah. you've done underwater rigging. Tell us about that. Like you were saying everything oh, is climbing and up and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, usually it is. Uh, I worked... <laughs> Until it's not. <laughs> Until it's not. Who knew? Uh, I... I did a gig with O in Las Vegas um, a couple of months ago, I guess last year now at this point. And uh, obviously that's a water show. I didn't really fully understand it at the time, but I would be expected to be underwater. And that's fine. I have a dive certification as well. It was definitely very different. Fortunately for me, the, the actual rigging aspect of it was on the more basic side. There wasn't anything too terribly complicated. It's about like getting this net here, making sure it's hooked up correctly, double check it's hooked up correctly, give your clear, carry on. And, you know, everything is bueno. My, my biggest thing was not having a large diving experience in the past was buoyancy. You know, my, my, my thing was the underwater part. Um, <laughs> I had the, I, man, I floated away so many times and I would be <laughs> packing on weight into my BC. You know, the show would go on a little bit further. My air would be running low. So I'm a bit more buoyant. So towards the middle of the show, I'm like putting on a couple kilos, you know, just to make sure that I can stay at the bottom and not, you know, float away whenever the lift decides to move or run my tank into something like while I'm trying to like aqua sprint from one side of the stage to the other to like go grab something to get it to the other side. And it's just, yeah, that was, that was something special. I would love to do it again. I definitely had a time trying to learn it and it and it wasn't really the rigging part it was the it was the being underwater part it's really the the combining of the skills isn't it right because you've right, scuba right. dived and then you've rigged but it's like obviously when you're trying to do that to a timed oh sequence, yeah 
Yeah, oh yeah. But, I mean, I would totally. I've I've done a scuba certificate too. I would be the worst at that. I'm the worst scuba diver you will ever meet. <laughs> well, you you could learn. If I can learn, then so can you. But no, my biggest thing, you know, in in the performance rigging side of things, you have a form of communication that you're constantly on. It's either you know headset or radio, something like that. You're constantly in communication, so you can always say something when something is happening. But when you're underwater, you know, the majority of the people down there can't talk to each other. You've got like two people on either side of the stage who have a dive com where they can communicate with the aquatic show caller in the booth. But other than that, you know, you're straining to listen to the music that's going on upstairs above the water. You're straining to listen to the click track to make sure that you're getting your tempo on time. You're trying to hear it all while you're breathing. Breathing is so loud. Like (laughs) that was so frustrating to me because I would hold my breath while I knew that a cue to disconnect something was about to happen, uh, nets go. And I'm like, and I would hold my breath for like a whole 30 seconds because I'm just like, I know it's here. I know it's here. I remember the thump thump. The thump thump is, 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 okay, there. And disconnect go. And we'll, you know, I'm disconnecting. I'm just like trying to like spool everything back up, get it to where it needs to go. Um, and all the while I'm trying to do it, you know, controlled, efficiently quickly but not so quickly that I'm like floating away because my thing was I would make these little tiny movements and not fully understand like how much they translate underwater when you've got like giant fins on so um yeah it was very different you you definitely have a different form of communication so they don't they don't um repeat things because I know at the house of dancing water they'll repeat the call so in case you were missing to breathe (laughs) Mm -hmm. they will um but I I'm I'm of that nature where I want to do it the first time (laughs) I was like I gotta get it on the first go but yes they do say things like that you know swing go swing go swing go you know they they will say things like that um and Mm. you know honestly I have worked in um, several aquatic shows and they all seem to have that same understanding that it does need to be repeated because I'm sure that conversation has happened many times where the divers are just like I know you said it but I couldn't hear it because I was breathing you know (laughs) so could you please like say it again I needed to breathe (laughs) at that time um, so. And breathing is important. I mean, we all want everybody to breathe. It, it's, it's, it's a base level. I would hope so. Um, I just imagine that that conversation had already happened because it seems to have worked for um, most people in the aquatic theater industry. And also um, sound travels different in the water. It does. Yeah. It never occurred to me that you could like smack your hand and you could hear it from one side of the stage to the other. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's cool. I mean, I knew that, you know, sound travels differently, but I didn't really fully respect it until I was, you know, having to do it on a regular basis. So yeah, it was, it was a very different experience. Um, I would happily do it again. I just need to be more focused on my buoyancy, not, not floating to the surface or sinking to the bottom, the happy spot. (laughs) It's hard doing shows. It's hard because it's not the same buoyancy you'd expect, or your goal is not the same as when you're just fun diving. And then you mentioned something, you mentioned the lifts and the lifts generate some like pressure on the water and they'll pull and drag and it's strong. It's not, it's not a little thing. It's generating a full current. So it is, it is, it is. And it it doesn't help if you're like holding on to gear and you need to be like hovering at a certain place while that lift is going down so you can get onto that lift but that lift is moving and you're kind of like floating over here and you're holding on this gear, which is sinking you down, but now I got to kick higher and get that performer out of the way. Run, 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 run. Okay, go. You know, it's, it's, it's a whole different dialogue just within yourself 
than what you would hear from what's going on everywhere else. It was the strangest thing. It was beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed it and I would totally do it again. I'll tell you a fun story to make you a little bit, feel a little bit better. So I had this cue. I'm I'm a tiny person. I'm not too big. I'm like five feet one, five feet two, something like that. 156 centimeters. And um, I had this cue where I had to catch a performer that's easier easy like twice my size but easy like you know big muscles tall guy and so I am weighted a a little bit more than what I need for myself and then I catch this guy that it's just muscles and I just sink yeah (laughs) just just like that (laughs) yeah um so yeah, I had to train and you know learn to swim with the guy, but I did it. Everyone laughed so much because a little thing like me was carrying this big guy. The guy couldn't move. I had to do all the swimming. It was yeah. it was great. I loved it. But yeah, it's uh, you do need to learn to manage all those things. Well, you you learn different techniques based on you know who you are and what you already know. So I'll I'll play off of that at the end of the show at O. Two of the riggers who are underwater. The only two riggers that are underwater we'll swim out on stage and we catch this little finale basket. And I was one of the shortest people there. So my problem was being able to actually reach the basket to catch it. So I had the the biggest problem because I would eventually reach it, but I wasn't actually touching the stage. So I couldn't run with the basket to get it where it needed to go because I wasn't touching the stage. So I learned that I needed to stand on top of my fins to get those extra like three inches to modify myself to um, do that. But I mean, we all kind of, we, we have different techniques to do things. Like I have a different technique to rescue somebody than, you know, a dude who's twice my size does. Like he can brute strength something. I'm going to use some sort of mechanical advantage. You know, it's, it, you accomplish the same thing. It might take, you know, a couple of seconds longer, but you know that you do it, you practice it and it all works out. I have this wonderful image of you on your tiptoes of your fins. With you know what? It looks so dumb. And it was so <laughs> odd because I'm just like my twin brother, a ballet dancer, would be laughing at me right now because I'm like on point underwater <laughs> with all this junk on me, sweating, trying to like <laughs> shuffle this thing along. I'm like, oh, man. And I'm already like out of breath because I had been like aqua sprinting like the rest of the show. Like I got my cardio on for those shows. Like no doubt. I got my cardio on. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm definitely happy for that. So yeah, not all rigging is under, is above the air. And I guess not all rigging is underwater. You kind of, you find that you need to mix things around for whatever the show calls for. Well, you also have ground riggers. Yeah, you have ground riggers. So you have those individuals that, um, for whatever reason, um, aren't in the air, either they're not certified for that. They're not comfortable with that. Um, but you, you absolutely need people who are on the ground who are going to secure, um, equipment, and have it all prepared for the people who are in the air so that the people who are in the air who are the ones themselves at risk can do as little as possible. So it's really important to have um, folks who are on the ground and knowledgeable about what they're doing and can communicate clearly with um, how things are meant to be moved and coordinated on the ground so that those people who are in the air or underwater um, can focus on their own safety and the safety of you know their colleagues that they're working with and don't have to necessarily deal with the minutia of, you know, making sure that the shackle is the right size. Yeah. I mean, we, we're all in different, in different places. So I guess folks have specialties, but it's nice if you can kind of do all the things so you can respect what it is that other person is having to go through um, and understand when there's a delay. I think that's super important is understanding when someone tells you there's a delay and not being like, Oh, well, yeah, they're just making that up or, you know, like they probably have delayed somebody for a really legitimate reason. And, you know, we just need to be respectful of that and patient with each other. 
All right. So this was, I imagine would be a quick question, but what would you say it's the thing you like the most about your job? I like having fun. I honestly like this, this sounds really stupid. This sounds like really lame and probably like the silliest answer ever, but I really enjoy having a bird's eye view most of the time of watching performers and the audience enjoy themselves. Like I get a huge kick out of watching a rehearsal where I know an acrobat is practicing a new skill and they've been practicing that thing for like months. They've been on that flip for months, you know, begging to like get their body ready for it and they do it on stage. And I'm just like, yeah, you're awesome. You did it. Yes, you're amazing. So I just happen to do it from a different perspective. Um, I enjoy clambering around. I enjoy making sure that people are safe um, and can have a good time doing it. And I just happen to do it through the rigging side. So hmm. that's that's honestly what I enjoy the most. Um, I just facilitate it a different way. And then if you could change anything, what would you change? Either from the rigging world or the industry itself? Uh, I think for all the things uh, I would maybe not change, but encourage all, all of our colleagues, um, our employers, our employees, um, the folks that we deal with on a regular basis or not a regular basis to take a moment to stop and encourage each other to pursue what it is that they're trying to pursue, um, to gain knowledge where it could be gained and to go out there and just be badasses, you know, like why... I've seen it so many times where, you know, you're on a show and someone, you know, has a bit of knowledge and they don't want to pass it down because they've been in the field for so long. And you're just like, oh, I've earned this, this knowledge, but you know, this newbies coming in and they want to do the same job. And it's just like, you know what, they are eventually going to do the same job. And it behooves all of us to make sure that we all know how to do the same job with as much um, efficiency, proficiency as possible. So I, I would hope that more um, individuals take it upon themselves to be proactive in building their companies and their communities and making sure that um, everybody has a chance to succeed. And, you know, even if it means merging over to different departments or, you know, cross training, I think that's usually important when it's cross training. But yeah, I, I, I want to see more people sharing and caring, you know, loving what you do and understanding that, you know, at some point, there's another generation out there and they need to learn to love it and respect what it is and the work that you've put through to get where you are, but they also need to, they also need to learn. So. I think that's a wonderful answer. You know, I think that um, I, I would totally concur with that, you know, and I, I love the idea of sharing your knowledge, you know, between up and down and around and, and your, you know, a lot of the time, I guess you experience that more than I in America, people train in one lane and they stay in that one lane, you know, whereas when I, I come from Australia and you do, this industry is so small, you do everything. Like yeah. I, like you, I've like soldered microphone cables and I've rigged lights and I've like been a mechanist at the back or a carpenter um, at yeah. the back of a theatre. And and so, and in that is a, res you learn the respect of everybody's role. Yes. Um, as you work in the theatre. And I think that's an amazing training for people and respect the people that are around you. And, and, and the show, a synergy, a good synergy of a show is built on that, right? Like, Absolutely. And even if it's not a, a, like a tangible thing that people can put their finger on when the audience come or they don't consciously acknowledge it, they feel that in some way, you know, and I think the great teams create, create great shows and, 
and I I totally concur with you on that. I think it's I I love a part of the reason we do theatre throughout life is to share that knowledge and to yes. share people's experience and and share people's you know make people better at what they do, whether you be yeah. sixty five or seventeen, right? Absolutely, absolutely. I think the more that we can do to share what we have, the the you're right, the better off the company is going to be, regardless of what your position is, regardless of where you came from and where you're at right now. We're all trying for the same thing. So we all need to be respectful of like the person that's sweeping the stage. It's just as important as the person that's calling the show. Mm. You know, and and they need to be treated and and understand that, you know, we're all we're all there for the same reason. So that's what you mean by wanting to be an action heroine. I think that's so cool. Like just yeah. your idea of having a great team. I don't know what your idea of being an No, I mean that's that's pretty much it. Like honestly, um Ironically, I happened to pick a, a place where I had some paintings. Um, I so that, that was not intended. Um, <laughs> but we, she, what she's referring to is there's a, um, a section in my CV where, um, in my related skills, I have had listed there dreams of being an action heroine for probably <laughs> 15 years. I've had it there for ages, and I put it there. I think originally as a gag, because I thought it'd be fun. You know, people were going through resumes. They read those things, you know, hundreds of them a day. They're probably bored. You know, it'd be nice to have something refreshing. But it was also a way to um, remind me that I'm out there and I've got a goal and I'm going to be a badass doing it one way or another. And maybe I'm not going to be, you know, Laura Croft Tomb Raider or the Yellow Power Ranger or, um, you know, Lady Inia Jones out there. But I can in my head. You know, in my head, I can accomplish, I can have that same attitude in my field. You know, I can go fight crime and save antiquity in theater and, you know, succeed in that regardless of whether or not I'm actually in films or out literally fighting crime because it's probably not a great idea for me. Um, I wanted to be a stuntwoman for ages and then I realized that I'm clumsy <laughs> when... Um, <laughs> Oh, when I don't great. need to be sometimes I'm just like maybe I shouldn't be doing that but yeah yeah so sometimes I just want to be an action heroine and I draw on the motif of that um, on a regular basis to remind me that you know those individuals work for a larger goal they you know focus on truth and justice you know I would say the American way but that's probably not the best thing to say these days anymore you know for the global way well I think you're a badass yeah, oh, we think you're a badass, so that, that's you. good. Do you think that 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 also helps you? And and I guess females are generally un, unrepresented in the rigging field. If you're talking yeah. about percentage, and I know that you would probably have to be tough in certain situations, and some organisations would be very encouraging. Um, can you just make a comment on that as a woman in a in a male dominated uh, realm? It, to be honest, it's not something that I consider on a regular basis. It's not. I don't go about the day thinking, "Oh man, I'm so great being a woman doing this." Um, I, I really want to get to the day where it's a complete non-issue. But right now, we're not there yet. Yeah, I mean, I've had to. I have to do things the way that the guys do it. I have to go out there and prove myself, which means that I have to train out the wazoo. I have to know all of my documentation out the wazoo. I have to know what it is that's going to be the exact right answer at that time. Because, yeah, I mean, regardless of where you go, and for some reason in the United States, it seems to be more prevalent, but you have those guys that just quiz you left and right about like all the basic information. It's just like, dude, I know this. I, I have this career. I've already done all this. You, do, you don't have to test me every single second, but I'll do that. I will do that. If that's, mm. if that's what you need to understand that you can trust me, 
I will go out there and I will do all of those drills that you want me to do. I will rescue that dude who weighs almost 300 pounds if you need me to, because you need to know that I'm just as capable as you are. Yeah, I'll probably do things a different way. I might speak about it in a different way because I'm coming from a different experience. But yeah, we're all out there trying to do the same thing. Um, and, And I'm very fortunate that the majority of my career, I haven't had a huge struggle with men trying to you know, I, I'm not going to say repress me or anything like that, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been as tough for me personally, as I know it has been for others, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a struggle and it's, it's unfortunate that we're still there in a lot of places. Um, but I, I generally just don't think about it because like I said, I'm out there to do a job. We're all out there to do a job. I'm going to encourage you as much as I can. And I'm going to hope that you encourage everybody else to, again, just go out there and be a badass. Like just we're all going to go enjoy ourselves regardless of what it is we look like or what we believe in. So that's great. I think it's a good attitude to have. Yeah, for sure. I try, I want it to be a non-issue. And I think the best way to do that is just, just carry on and not, yeah. not address it, but not just, make it an issue, right? Not make it an issue. Just, you were all just do, do what is that you need to do to get through the day. Try and be as respectful of everyone as you can be. And encourage other women to join your crusade. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're all, again, we're all coming from different places and, you know, people have different strength levels. They have different like skill bases. So we can, we can all learn from each other. Um, but it's important that each one of us, you know, whatever you are, um, understands that we can all build off of each other and we should make a more inclusive environment. I think. I think that's a great note to wrap it up. And, um, Yay. I like the idea. Thank you for bringing to the table all your rigging knowledge, but also this good vibe and positive take on the industry and what we do and how we can overcome just by standing together and teaching each other, encouraging each other to be better. So I think that's, that's brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I was very, very honored on this. Thank you, Anna. That's awesome. We're glad glad to speak to you. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been really good. Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theater Art Live by visiting our website at www.theaterartlive.com. And you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Scarata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life Podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create life entertainment around the world.